Welcome to One Man's Opinion, brought to you by the Elite Fantasy, Fantasy Guru, and EliteSportsBetting.com. And now, here's your host, Jeff Manns. All right, welcome in everybody. Another episode of the podcast that's sweeping the nation. Indeed, it's One Man's Opinion. Thank you, one and all, for downloading. Thank you for listening into the show. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying it. This is episode 161. This is season four of the show. You can go back and listen to previous episodes in case you're – I get questions from time to time. Jeff, are you into this? Are you into that? Personal life stuff. Talk about parents and family and parenting and friendship and uh, cancer and uh, depression and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, by the way, also different football, baseball, basketball topics and sports topics over the years. You could go back and – Get all the old episodes wherever you have found this podcast. And thank you one and all for getting it and listening in wherever it is that you're listening from. We appreciate you. Thank you for liking and favoriting and commenting and subscribing and every other thing they make you do to listen to the show. I appreciate you guys jumping through those hoops. This is our big show today, folks. It is only me, just the one man's opinion today. But as you can tell from the title, bum, 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 it's the big one. More on that in just a second. In case you're just tuning in for the first time or just downloading for the first time, stumbling in, welcome, everybody. I am Jeff Mance. You can hear me 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern time every weekday afternoon on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio Channel 87. Host a show called Elite Sports right there for you. Also part owner and chief content officer over at fantasyguru.com. 2023 fit fit. Oh, Ooh, almost lost my fantasy football draft guide is available. Now that was, can you tell I'm excited for this episode? <clears throat> like this is the episode for me. This is my baby of the year. I'm birthing it in front of you. You're going to get, uh, you're going to get all goo all over you, all over your face and eardrums. That's right. As you just heard from there, but uh, the draft guide is live over at fantasyguru.com. We only have about nine more days of uh, early bird pricing. Price is going to go up pretty dramatically, twenty five percent in the on July first. So make sure you're in now. Cannot stress that to you guys that you should be getting in on the draft guide now. And I want to also mention with that. Our product over fantasyguru.com. We do all sports. We have, it's not just me. It is an amazing team. Hopefully you listened to our last episode with my guys, Armando Marsal, Tyler Beaker, Russell Clay. There was just some of the voices and the names that you find over at fantasyguru.com. But we, we are balls deep in the baseball season. We had hockey all the way to the end basketball all the way then we do pga we do nascar we do mma i mean we have an amazing team around us and it, it's just a usfl canadian football league all of that is on fantasyguru.com also i want to mention about the draft guide that and i'm going to make a big point of it this year we're not just a your regular fantasy draft guide i think that sells us short Right. I, I'm I'm always aware of what our competitors do, what our industry does, and, and what people are up to. I love seeing good work out there. I appreciate good work. It motivates me and inspires me. Um, 
without being harsh, this is a year that I see a lot of laziness already. Uh, people are delaying their products. People are um, just, they're cu- paring down, cutting back. And what we do at fantasyguru.com is we go through expectations all the way through. Nobody's ever going to read our content and say, eh, I was left wanting more. No, you're going to be like, okay, this is enough. It's overload. That's the point, right? And I know my coaching breakdowns, our offensive line breakdowns, the best ball guy, the dynasty guide, like all of this content is so much and it's not found anywhere. That's the other thing. It's not that, oh, you can go to whatever site that, you know, freefantasy.com or whatever it is, you know, whatever consensus ranking bull crap type of site you find, that's not what we do, right? There's a reason we charge for our membership is that we're providing you an edge and a service. And we stand by your side from the moment you sign up through pre-draft workouts, drafting, during the season, after the season. Like, we're there for you every single day and helping you manage your team. So it's a lot different. And I promise you, if you were to read my coaching breakdowns alone, you would, and if you read every word of them, 32 teams, you would know more than anybody in your league. And chances are you'd be amongst the top 5% in football knowledge in the world. That's true. Nobody does what those coaching breakdowns do. Nobody. It's nowhere. Other people will tell you the coordinators and the play callers. Some people will tell you personnel groupings. Some people decide run versus pass splits. Okay. That's kindergarten here. By the way, this is an uncensored podcast. So if you're around sensitive ears, kids, people who don't want to hear swearing, people that don't like real talk, well, you get you need to turn down the volume, put in the headphones, the AirPods, or whatever, because um I'm gonna say a lot of the dirty words. But that's what other people do. They just give you a bunch of bullshit. They take the lazy approach. They're not going to tell you which quarterbacks do best against the cover two or which defenses are changing between a cover one and quarters and, you know, the four, three versus the three, four split versus a three, two, five or uh, uh three, three, five. I should say like, nobody's telling you that we do. I do. And it's not easy. There's not a source. You don't, it's not like I'm going to fucking Yahoo or fucking pro football focus and be like, Oh, this is what they say. This is, only from my fucking brain, my mind. Nobody else has it. They can't do it. It's impossible. And that's your edge. That's where that's where we're coming from, from such a position of power. And that's why the membership at fantasyguru.com is important. <sighs> Thank you for letting me say that. Uh, also, you follow me on social media, at Jeff underscore Mans on Twitter, the Jeff Mans everywhere else, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat and on TikTok. So obviously you could tell what today is about. Today's the day that I uncover my surprise team of the year. This one has been very hard to conceal. It's been very difficult to be calm about. I've already let the it let it slip many times on Sirius XM, even in our Discord at Fantasy Guru and all that. But I tried to play coy and play it cool with everybody, all right? So, indeed, 2023 
Jeff Manns and FantasyGuru.com. We're binging the Broncos. You're damn right we are. The Denver Broncos are my team of the year. And I'm proud of them. And we're going to give you a full breakdown here today on this episode. This entire episode is just going to be about the Denver Broncos every which way. So that's what we're going to be doing. I do want to announce that I have a vacation coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. I will be going to the East Coast. We'll have a new episode for you that week as well. But in case you are uh, a Sirius XM listener, uh, Ray Flowers, Ted Schuster will be manning the fort for a couple of days while I am off. But don't worry, all our NFL team previews, all of our strategy weeks will continue with Ray and Ted. Like I said, it's great to have a superb team with us in place. I'm sure that we'll get some of the guys from Fantasy Guru on the shows as well while I'm out because, you know, I'm a loud mouth. I have a lot to say. So there's little time for guests. Not that the guests aren't great, but I just have a lot of information to provide. And I know Ray likes getting guests in especially. So, you know, those guys will run the ship. But, yes, I'm binging the Broncos this year. And, yes, it has to do with Sean Payton. Yes, it has to do with Russell Wilson. Yes, it has to do with the offseason moves. Yes, it has to do with the NFL draft. Yes, it, as always, it has to do with everything. This is not a guess. This is not a, oh, we're going to take it lightly. Right, This is not, oh, this team is better than last year. It's not what we're going for. We're going for domination. We're going for an edge. We're going for something that I'm sure about based on all of my work and all this research that has been done already and where these play and what the rest of the general population think, right? That is what we're going for here. And that's why the Broncos are my team. And by the way, um, so far, so good. I am very much, right? I am very much involved with who I pick. I, I follow it all the way in. Let's go through the scorecard. I started this trend in 2020. Um uh, same time of year I've done, I think I'm doing it a week early because I couldn't keep the cat in the bag any longer. Everybody in the Manscaped Discord over at fantasyguru.com was speculating. I couldn't, I didn't want everybody to just assume it before I let it out. So 2020, I started this and I said, you know what? This year I'm buying the Browns. Everyone laughed. Everybody. If you've been listening to the podcast since then, thank you very much. But I know you laughed at me after that, right? The, Bron the Browns were six and 10. It's coming off a six and 10 season. Nobody ever likes the Browns. I like the Browns this year. I'd be buying the Browns this year too. I believe in them. I really do. But in 2020 I did. And guess what? 11 and five made it to the divisional round of the AFC playoffs and almost beat the Kansas city chiefs that season. Okay. Next year I was chasing the chargers. Very similar situation here where AFC West, tough division. Can't believe I'm using a two-in-one division, but here we are. I don't make the rules. These teams do what they got to do. It's my job to analyze them and tell you what's best. We chased the Chargers, and they went from 7-9 and nine to 9-8. Nine and eight. Not a huge improvement that year, but, you know, there's a lot of context that needs to be thrown into that mix because that was the um, 
uh, the 2021 season when I was chasing the Chargers, that was the year where they it all came down to that Raiders game in overtime. They had a lead, couldn't seal the deal either. But that team was rolling. That team was eight and five after 14 weeks. They lose in overtime to the Chiefs. Fucking somehow they lost that game to the Texans. Oh, that was brutal. A brutal fucking loss there. And that's essentially what eliminated them from the playoffs. Right? That's the one that did it. But the Chargers, fifth in offense that year, fourth in, four, uh, fifth in points, fourth in total yards. The passing offense was phenomenal. Um, obviously, the guy, the calls I made, like Austin Eckler and Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen were all absolutely gold, and we rolled. Then last year, we were digging the Dolphins. That one came back and bit me a little bit. Uh, still got to the playoffs. We went from a nine and eight record missing the playoffs to a nine and eight record and making the playoffs. So a little bit, we improved at least. They could have beat the Bills in that first round playoff game too. They had a lead, right? I mean, this and this team was eight and three. Digging the Dolphins, I was ahead of everybody. I was ahead of two and on. Told you why, Mike McDaniel. We did the same research, same workup that we are doing this year for the Broncos. And they were rolling eight and three. Two concussions later by Tua Tonga Vailoa. Uh, a couple of real close losses to the Chargers, to the Bills, to the Packers, to the Patriots. Four losses in a row. They had five losses in a row, but four of them by one score or less. Technically, five points or six points or less. Right? That was fucking brutal. But again, this is a team finished ninth in points, sixth in total yards, up from a, a you know a, a huge change after they finished twenty second and twenty fifth respectively the year before. So we're on to something. So I think it's obvious our method works, and that's why we're benching the Broncos. So let's talk about the Denver Broncos here, right? Let's talk about it for a minute because what why them? Well, let, as we always do. I start at the top. You need to start at the top for all these things. And the Denver Broncos are a team that, an organization, I should say, that loves to win, that wants to win, right? That's what Denver's about. The Bolins were always about it. Look at all the Super Bowl 80s and early 90s with Dan Reeves. Didn't win one. Then Mike Shanahan was brought in. They got the running game going, zone blocking before anybody couple back-to-back Super Bowls, John Elway's final couple seasons. Then they're up and down for a decade, of course, but want to go out while Pat Bowen was still alive. They bring in the great Peyton Manning. They struck. They went for it, right? Won a couple Super Bowls there. Won one more Super Bowl there, 2015. Monster years out of Peyton Manning, but they, they're they their organization that goes for it. Well, the thing that happened last year, for those that in Denver know this already, but – Denver sold, Pat Bolin passed away, and the Bolin family sold the team for $4 billion. <laughs> Pretty nice chunk of change, right? I don't know what he paid for it. I guess I didn't do all my research, did I? Um, how about already paid for it? He probably paid like $200 million and sold it for $4 billion. Nevertheless, the, owner, the new owner, we always look at that. Who's that? It's Rob Walton, right? Who's Rob Walton? Well, if you were like me in high school, I met Ted Schuster while he and I worked at a Walmart. 
back in the day. There they that Rob Walton was the head of Walmart. Sam Walton was the original. He passed away. Actually, I think Ted and I were working there when Sam Walton died. If I'm not mistaken. And Rob Walton, the son, took over and led it to what it is now. And now he's the owner of the Denver Broncos. So if you're noticing what happens around professional sports lately, whenever there's ownership changes, something happens. We're experiencing this in Phoenix right now with the new ownership of the Phoenix Suns. They went out and made a trade for Kevin Durant, just made a trade for Bradley Beal. They want to win immediately. Cubs did this when they went out in 2016. The Ricketts family... Every organization has a an ownership change. They want to deflect from who they are, what they're about, and they want to engage and energize the fan base. So they make strong moves early. Constantly happens, right? That's what new ownership does. Well, this owner, this sale of the Denver Broncos didn't happen to like july of last year the training camp was opening up but it was in the works right leading up to that so what happened last year well they fired the coach brought in a new coach highly regarded guy in nate hackett <laughs> more on him later they bring in nate hackett they make a huge move to get a franchise defining quarterback in russell wilson okay awesome so they they really went for it you know they made bold moves Nope. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely just brutal. Right? And terrible season. So what do they do this off season? Go out and get one of the greatest head coaching free agents we've ever seen in Sean Payton. Pretty good. You know, get a franchise quarterback one year, a franchise defining head coach the following year. Listen, folks. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I don't think we've had either one of those fucking things. We haven't had either one of those things, at least since we, if we want to say Mike Dick was the defining coach, I think that's fair. But that he was hired when I was like four years old or three years old. So we've never had it. A lot of organizations. The Lions are still waiting for both of those things. A lot of organizations would love to have either one, franchise quarterback or fucking head coach. We get neither. Broncos got went out and got both. Strong ownership. They're willing to pay. They brought in a ton of free agents, which I'll talk about. That's good ownership. That's somebody who wants to rile the fan base, get the fan base going. All right. What else do we have within the organization? Well, uh, George Patton, their general manager, was hired in 2021. And um, if you look at some of the things they did, number one, here's something I always look at, and I talk about this just about every year. What are they doing with their front office? What you know? What what were they like before? What are they like now? Well, they brought in help, right? The Rob Walton is the owner, but he has Greg Penner, who is the I don't know what his title is, but uh, Penner's the CEO of the Broncos, if you will. He is a business guy, not a football guy. He's not there to fuck around, right? He's there just to to run the business, right? Damani Leach is the president of the Denver Broncos. He's a guy, football guy, been around, younger, a little bit young for president of the company. George Patton, uh, they bring an assistant general manager. They expanded their football administration department. They expanded their scouting department. 
right? They brought in some senior executives who have been around the league and won in other places, right? Guy uh, with strong ties, Roman Pfeiffer. Remember, he played a long time in the league, right? Remember him from the old uh, St. Louis Rams days. Well, he was with University of California at Los Angeles for a bunch of years. He was in the scouting department for the Detroit Lions, helped uncover some of those guys, including Matt Stafford. He is now in the front office. So they expanded their college scouting. They expanded their reach within the front office. Great start. Way to go. That, I mean, that's that's what you could ask for. You know, there you could always look at it and be skeptical and be like, well, a bunch of suits doing nothing. Who the fuck do we care? Right? I don't give a fuck if one person, quite frankly, if one person does one job, but they do it amazingly, fuck it. Because all that matters as a fan, fantasy player, anything we ca- anybody who cares about the Denver Broncos, winning. Whatever it is, if they make a great decision on what hot dogs to choose and fans can't get enough of the hot dogs, right? They're putting them in their asshole or something. I don't care what they do with them. They're fucking buying them. That's the business side. So you got a strong business side and sense within the front office. You got a good football know-how and power. George Patton, for his uh, reputation, I suppose, people don't look at Patton as anything major. But I'll tell you this. Go look at that 2021 draft class. Go look at the 2021 draft class of George Patton here in Denver. He was with the Minnesota Vikings for a number of years. He's with the Miami Dolphins, right? Director of pro personnel, built the team that Nick Saban won with earlier in those times, right? That was with the Vikings for over a decade. Worked his way up, was assistant GM, got passed over. Uh, I think he was, no, he wasn't passed over. I think the Broncos hired him before uh, they brought in their general manager currently. So, you know, George Patton comes in and immediately has the draft of his fucking life in 2021. That 2021 draft class was absolutely freaking baller. You start out with it in um, the first round and it was Jerry Judy right off the bat. I'm sorry. uh, That was the year before. Um, Sertain, right? Patrick Sertain, you get him at ninth overall. You move up to get Javante Williams. Oh, I'll talk about him early in the second round on day two. Quinn Menares, who is now your uh, one of your starting offensive linemen, likely going to start at right guard, but was drafted as a center. Has position flexibility, had a really good, strong end to the 2022 season. You draft him there. Uh, um, Baron Browning, one of the starting linebackers. In there, he had a really good draft all the way through. Jonathan Cooper, seventh round pick that uh, has produced four and a half sacks in two years, uh, even out of a seventh round pick, pretty good value. So really good start. Last year's draft, the 2022 draft, Damari Mathis, a couple starts under his belt. Dolchitz looked very good before going down with an injury as well. Uh, Nick Benito uh, off the outside linebacker was more of a guy trying to fit a scheme that's no longer technically there in Denver. Took him a little bit of a pass, although not the greatest uh, uh, pick. That was obviously a second rounder because they didn't have a first rounder with the Russell Wilson trade. Didn't have a first rounder this year. 
with the after the Russell Wilson trade last year. So, um, and then this year, <laughs> Marvin Mims, Drew Sanders, such two really high end players. Drew Sanders was a fucking tackle monster who played edge at Alabama, didn't want to play edge anymore, went to Arkansas and led the nation in tackles, got him in the third round. So George Patton, it's early still, longtime football guy, and a guy who is has a lot of success and a good track record. So the front office is in good shape, right? Now let's look at how the Brown, what they're coming out from. Because I think the context is important. All right. When I did the Browns, they were coming from the bottom, absolute shithole, and became something. When I did the uh, Chargers, it was more, well, we kind of know they're okay, but we didn't think they'd pop the way they did. And when I did the Dolphins, everyone thought they were going to go in the opposite direction. When Mike McDaniel, they thought it was a rebuild without Brian Flores. Remember, when I recorded that podcast last year, the digging the Dolphins, people thought I was fucking bananas because Flores was suing them and this organization was in a complete shit and disarray. And I said, well, a deeper examination says, no, not so much. So the Broncos 2021, seven and six in good shape. Vic Fangio. Now the, ironically enough, the defense coordinator, of the Miami Dolphins took over this year going into week 15. They had the, the division by the balls and lost four in a row. Lost the Bengals, lost to all three division guys, and missed the playoffs. Boom. Gone is Vic Fangio. They come in. They bring in Nate Hackett, Paul Hackett, legendary AFC West guy, uh, his grandpappy, and Nate Hackett comes in, and holy shit. 5-12 and 12 doesn't even tell the story. It started in week one. That Monday night game, I, I mean, I can never, I cannot, ever remember a more embarrassing game, full game from a, a coach in my life. Not only that, they had that game wrapped up several times. The Seahawks kept trying to give them the game and they wouldn't take it. And we remember the malfunction of the clock at the end of the clock, did malfunction, Nate fucking Hackett did. Nate Hackett didn't know. And we learned this later as the season progressed, right? Cause then they, beat the 49ers, they beat the the Texans, they are 2 and 1, okay, and then boom, loss, 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 end up 3 and 9 after a 3 and 10 after um week 14 and everything's a shit show. Hackett gets fired after losing 51 to 14 to the on Christmas Day in front of a national audience to the Rams who had already given up on the season and you get blown apart. We learned later Nate Hackett he had never, this is the danger with coaches. This is why I do the coaching breakdown over at fantasyguru.com. He had no experience. He had never called plays before. Sure, he's friendly with Aaron Rodgers. Woo. By the way, Nate Hackett, new offense coordinator in New York for the Jets. What a fucking disaster. That's because, why does Aaron Rodgers want him there? Aaron Rodgers wants him there because he pulled, pushes him around. He has no say so. And Hackett knows it. He didn't have, he didn't do anything in Green Bay. He had no purpose. None. And there's two types of people, right? And some of you may be this type of person. I've been this kind of person. 
I remember I worked a job at service merchandise. I didn't do fucking, there were nights where I, I worked in the warehouse. I didn't fucking do a thing. Like I literally, it's before cell phones, unfortunately. Like I sat around doing fucking nothing. Should I have been unpacking boxes and stacking things and facing and everything? Yeah, I should have, but instead I chose to do nothing. No raises for this guy. Cause I sat on, I didn't do it. was good enough just to be there and got away with it. But you know, at your job, if you're getting away with something, you don't take the next position up with more responsibility. Sure. You want the paycheck, but you shouldn't, you should be very careful about moving up the ranks when you are secretly shitty at your current job. That's what Nate Hackett did. And he didn't know what the fuck he's doing. The playbook was a disaster. That first game Monday night came out weeks later. Seattle Seahawks said it. They said, Russell Wilson was calling plays that were in the Seahawks playbook from the year before. They were amazed by it. Why? It wasn't the same plays, but Nate Hackett had never named plays. He had never drawn up plays. He didn't know how to put together a playbook. So he is so used to letting Aaron Rodgers fuck him in the ass that he let... Russell Wilson do everything. Russell Wilson's like, oh, Pete Carroll used to do this. And, you know, uh, Daryl Bevel did this for me. And Brian Schottenheimer did this for me. Like, I'm I'm just a quarterback. I execute. But okay, I'll do it. So what did Russell Wilson do? He named the plays what he's familiar with. His language, which was what fucking Seattle. He did Seattle. Same thing. It's insane. It's insane that that happened in the National Football League. Nate Hackett was the biggest fraud we've ever seen. It's like, I, I don't know if you watch South Park when Mr. Garrison became president, or I'm trying to think of other shows where somebody got way, they got a job they had no fucking business doing. That's what he was just sitting there like, oh shit. What do we do now? So obvious, it was a disaster. All right. The entire coaching staff, but Broncos, front office, ownership what do they do do you know how many people even at when they were sitting there after losing the chiefs and they're three and ten are like well yeah but you give them another you got to give them another season to get his you know. that's what shitty organizations do shitty organizations like well we gave him a three four-year deal or a three-year deal so we got to get at least two seasons out of now good organizations like the broncos get the fuck out of here get out right Get out. It That's it. You're out. Hackett was fired before the final whistle of the season. And by the way, little FYI, their final two games, the offense was a lot better. A lot better against two high-quality teams in the, the uh, Chiefs and Chargers. forgot what order they played in, but like they were a lot better. And they, I think they beat the Chargers, if I'm not mistaken, and lost the Chiefs, but they were real close in that game. And Russell Wilson, which we'll get to later, played well. Much better. Two games. One, just getting that guy out of the building had that kind of effect. So what do they do? The offseason. It's one thing to say you're firing your coach. Great. Who's out there? Who can we get? That's the scary part. Well, they went out and got Sean Payton. Sean Payton. For those who don't know, most all of you know Sean Payton, Hall of Fame coach, took New Orleans Saints and made them into a perennial contender. For those of you who are 40 plus and were football fans as kids, the Saints used to, they used to wear paper bags 
They they wouldn't draw a thousand fans. They were the absolute, not one of. They were the absolute downright worst organization in professional football for most of my childhood. The absolute worst. Not even close to another one. Colts were really bad too, but not as bad. They made the Saints look like, or the Saints made the Colts look the the Harlem fucking Globetrotters. Sean Payton, for those who don't know his trajectory, he came into the league. He bounced around for a while, but he got his claim to fame back in the day with um, he would uh, uh, with the New York Giants, right? He took over. He was quarterback coach uh, of the New York Giants, and he was a guy that really led the resurgence of Kerry Collins, and that's the team that made it all the way to the Super Bowl and all the way to the Super Bowl and lost to the Ravens, got blasted in that one. But that team had real no, really no business going there. But a great coaching job done by Sean Payton there. A um, couple of years later, you know, he was highly thought of in circles. He was he was the Sean McVay before Sean McVay. Well, something happened then after New York. When something happens in New York, it's always big news. But certain gentleman named Bill Parcells. Now, I want to tell you about Bill Parcells for those who don't know. Bill Parcells uh, is the biggest fraud there's ever been in professional sports. And I, you know what? I'm going to say, I don't mean that negatively either. It, it's not his fault. It's not Bill Parcells' fault. Bill Parcells is widely regarded as one of the greatest football coaches ever. But you know what he's really good at? Bill Parcells has a massive talent. Now, I don't know how big his cock is. I have no idea. I know. I don't know. I wonder if you could see it. Can Bill Parcells see his cock around his belly? You think so? I don't know. Anyway, I digress. Bill Parcells is amazing at finding other coaching talents. He rode Bill Belichick into the ground. I've talked about it before. Bill Belichick is the one that won those Super Bowls in 86 and 91 for the Giants. He got them when he was the defense coordinator. Go look at Bill Parcells' record. I'm not going to go on it here. With Bill Parcells and without. It will blow your mind. So Parcells goes to Dallas. And he's coach of Dallas Cowboys. Well, he was smart because what he knew everybody in New York with the Giants. He knew everything that was going on there. He went out and got Jerry Jones to pay up through the nose for uh, for Sean Payton, who brought him in as his quarterback coach originally, but gave him say so the offense helped Sean Mc, or Sean Payton built that offense as a quarterback coach. What happens? First couple of years in Dallas were a hit because they had Quincy Carter, they had Drew Bledsoe, they had Testa Verde and this fucking hack out of Western Illinois University named Tony Romo. Romo shined in the preseason. Peyton took Romo under his wing, and next thing you know, Tony Romo became a thing. Sean Peyton became one of the hottest coaching prospects in all the land. Eventually, a couple of your playoff loss in 05, he ends up in New Orleans, gets the head, jo- head coaching job in New Orleans. Well, for those who don't know, the Saints were 3-13 and 13 in 2005. 3-13 right? and 13 in 2005. First year Sean Payton was there. 
first year, mind you, 05 to 06 is a massive change. Jim Hazlitt, terrible team. Um, just they were 31st in points scored, they're 28th in total yards that season. Uh, they, they were just a terrible, awful team. And Aaron Brooks is a quarterback that I always liked him. Always liked Aaron Brooks, right? I, I, he was the nephew uh, or cousin, I'm sorry, to Michael Vick, if I'm not mistaken. Right? They had Deuce McAllister. They had some talent on the team, sort of guys that we were interested in fantasy. But um, it was a down season and a bad season, and it was obvious. So Sean Payton – Gets the job in New Orleans. They basically, and that was, 05 was the year of Hurricane Katrina, right? They come in and Sean Payton comes in there and takes over the entire team. And nobody really gave a shit about the New Orleans Saints, even the New Orleans Saints. They were worried about their stadium. They're worried about their community and rightfully so. Well, he gets to work. What's the first thing Sean Payton does? Sean Payton goes out and gets himself a quarterback. He identifies the quarterback to get, and it's Drew Brees. Drew Brees is 28 years old. Drew Brees is not, it was a second or third round pick that the Chargers didn't want anymore because they were draft. They were getting ready to draft Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers was getting that. They were handing him the reins, and Drew Brees was, Drew Brees was not well thought of. Going into that free agency, the Dolphins wanted him. There were, you know, a couple teams in need of a quarterback, but nobody was going to just give him carte blanche and hand over their offense. Except one, John Payton and the Saints. That was interesting. Okay. Well, you know, all right. Uh, next thing you know, they're 10 and six. They win the division. They get into the playoffs. They beat Andy Reid. What? That's the year that my Chicago Bears made it in because the Saints made it to the fucking NFC Championship game that year. First year. What did he do? He went out. He got a good offensive line. He improved the offensive line in the offseason. They brought in those guys. And then they brought in their quarterback, right? They also, out of nowhere, or seemingly nowhere, sixth or seventh round pick. Marquise Colston came out of nowhere. Reggie Bush, they drafted early. They did go out and get some of the, uh, you know, they went out and got some talent, but at all rounds of the draft, you know? And that was just unheard of to turn a team around that quickly, that fast, and in New Orleans, right? It was just Absolutely, positively unheard of. But those are the things they did. You know, bring in Jamal Brown. You know, that, that, those are the moves that is just like, you know, that stand out to me. Jahari Evans, Zach Strife. Oh, man. Holy shit. Seventh round pick. Holston and Strife were the seventh round picks that year. Strife or Strife. He, for those who don't know, uh, Zach Strife is currently the offensive line coach. Where? Give you one guess. Denver Broncos. Yeah, Sean Payton. It's it's incredible. So, I mean, it's the same playbook, y'all. They did the same playbook. Bring us uh, uh, 
a streak. They bring in, they had Jamal Brown, Jahari Evans, they add, they build up the offensive line, they get a quarterback, they bring in their running backs, have a dual backfield, they get a big wide receiver to put on the outside, and boom, NFC fucking championship game immediately. And then we're off and running, and we know everything that there is to know about Sean Payton. Right? He, he, his success wherever he goes. Some coaches have Matt Nagy, uh, who's the new offensive coordinator in Kansas City. He took the Chicago Bears to the playoffs in 2018. And I think they had the second best record in the, the NFL that year, right? With Mitch Trubisky. People forget that he's fired a couple years later because he was a fluke year. It's a lot of fluke years. Doug Peterson had a fluke year in Philadelphia, won a Super Bowl with it. Fluke years are fine. Fans will take it. Sean Payton isn't a fluke coach. He has been, he has done positive work everywhere he's gone. Everything he's done has been positive and improved everywhere. If you watch the Netflix show, he went and coached his son who didn't want anything to do with him during when he was suspended that season. Wins with the fucking high school team. I mean, there are people in this world that we run into that are just winners. They just win. And he is one of them. And that this team is so much better. It's the polar opposites of what it could be. So let's examine the rest of his staff, right? I mean, Peyton, one thing he did this year is he got some help around him. One of the year off being in studio and things, he realized, okay, some things I need to do. Well, he went and got Mike Westoff, spent long time special teams coach around the league, spent a decade with the Jets, two decades with the Miami Dolphins, was in New Orleans in a couple of the final years for uh, with Sean Payton, and a longtime special teams coach. Well, Westoff is just there. This dude's 75 years old. He is just the assistant. He's just helping Sean Payton with the day-to-day because Sean realizes he needs that. They also bring in Paul Kelly. No, not from SiriusXM, though. I wish that was. To be his assistant. To serve as Sean Payton's assistant. So getting him some help. They get offense coordinator Joe Lombardi. Oh, my God. You, you can't be better. You they There could not have been a better fit than Joe Lombardi with Sean Payton in Denver. It's a match made in heaven. Lombardi was with him for years. All right? He is the grandson of Vince Lombardi. Just so you know, he's got, he has done amazing work with running backs. Look at Austin Eckler last two years. Back in the day, last time he was coordinator in 2014 15 with Detroit, he made Theo Riddick and Joyke Bella thing, right? He has been quarterbacks coach for Drew Brees and Sean Payton in New Orleans. He's been play caller and offensive coordinator when they needed them him to step up during suspensions and in New Orleans. So very familiar guy. You could not have had a better fit there. Then they go out and get the uh, John Morton, who was pass game coordinator. He's going to serve in that same capacity here. He was out there, senior assistant with, uh, he's been in the New York before. He was with the Saints, obviously. Everybody has Saints ties. But with the Raiders during the Derek Carr years, developing him. And then he was with the Lions last season. For that tremendous Jared Goff here in the same capacity. Former quarterback, remember Davis Webb? Giants and uh, where else it was? I don't know where else Davis Webb played. But he was Texas Tech kid from a long time. Guy who has been there before. 
Kerry Colbert's the wide receiver coach, old Panther wide receiver. Zach Streep, who, again, I've talked about it before. This is the guy that's their offensive line coach. And somebody, Sean Payton, says the smartest player he's ever coached in his life. Right? And so I, I think that's just an amazing mix of head coaches. Right? Played for Sean Payton, knows what it takes about it. And they're going to put this own blocking scheme that they ran a lot in Denver, or I'm sorry, in New Orleans towards the end. It was power back in the early days. But they're going to implement that here in Denver now. All right. So familiar coaches, great offensive coaching staff. Vance Joseph, who was the head coach a couple of years ago. Greg Minuski, who's been a long time coordinator in this league, a guy who was, um, Sort of defense coordinator for years with the Indianapolis Colts. Did he make a? No, that was. I think the Colts Super Bowl was after or before Manuski got there. But you know, 49ers Chargers. She's been around the block a long time. Defensive mind is on that side of the ball. Bring Vance Joseph in to get that fit. Um, Joe Vitt, another very highly experienced coach. This one on the defense side, former defense coordinator himself is on staff here in Denver. So they're absolutely loaded with experience and and guys who they can trust to just do the job. That's a huge thing. Implementing Sean Payton's uh, scheme here. It's going to be pretty easy, pretty transactional realistically, right? The passing game, it's, the pass to set up the run. Um, that's something Sean Payton likes to do. It's not a ton of volume, but he does want to run the football. He wants to keep his running backs fresh. Sean Payton has had some of the highest production amongst fantasy running backs that there's been. The problem with it is he always split the time. It was Deuce McAllister and Reggie Bush. Later on, it was Kamara and Ingram. Like there was always a mixture of guys. And it's going to be similar like that here and Denver too. And I'll get to that in a minute. All right. But um, we know the track record. So what do you need to install Sean Payton's offense? What worked in previous places he went to? And ah, man, you look at, he developed Tony Romo, but in New York, he developed, he worked with Kerry Collins, a veteran guy, sort of down and out at the back end of his career and made you know, huge leap. He took an ex- experience younger, but you know, uh, uh, has been quarterback in Drew Brees and made him into a hall of famer. Right. He, uh, Oh, in Dallas, he worked with fucking Quincy Carter, fucking Testa Verity. And, uh, and uh, um, I'm blanking on the other guy. I don't know. Oh, Drew Bledsoe worked with him in Dallas through them. Each one of those guys, we're highly productive in Sean Payton's offense. So what does he have now? Russell Wilson. Oh, Jeff, Russell Wilson's washed, bro. He's washed, bro. Well, maybe. It's only 34 years old. Aaron Rodgers is 40, and everyone gives him a pass. I agree. Don't like what I saw to Russell Wilson. But I also want to ask everybody, why did you all like him last year? Y'all loved Russell Wilson going into last year. You blew up his stock so much and you did it with a guy who evidently couldn't write a playbook. That's what you did. 
Russell Wilson is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And that's a crazy thought. He's undersized. I was wrong about him. I never really believed in Russell Wilson. Like he, he was one of those players because of his size and stature and the escapability problems. I always talk about how they teach you. You got to run out of the, through the pocket, not up out of the pocket. He runs up out of the pocket. Just crazy shit like that is something you just don't see. And that doesn't usually work, but here we are. And when you look at, as far as all time quarterbacks are concerned, Russell Wilson is up there with some of the best that ever did it. As far as on a fantasy point scale, do you know Russell Wilson's a top 10 fantasy quarterback of all time already? More fantasy points than John Elway, Fran Tarkenton, Joe Montana, Steve Young. Eh, pretty shocking, right? More fantasy points per game than Dan Marino or uh, Philip Rivers or Brett Favre or even Peyton Manning, for that matter. Even Drew Brees, more fantasy points per game than Drew Brees. That's pretty surprising. So why do we, we need, in order to believe in the Broncos, in order to binge the Broncos, we need to believe in Sean Payton. We also need to believe in Russell Wilson because that is his guy. Number one, Sean Payton is made more money last year on Fox than he'll make on the sidelines for the Denver Broncos this year. And he's one of the highest paid coaches in the league. They paid him a shit ton. So yeah, money helps, but he made plenty in the studio. Oh no, it's actually, Oh, okay. I'm wrong. He made almost 2 million. He's making 2 million more. Okay. My bad on that. But he is, he does, didn't take the job for the money. Let's just be straight. He loves ball and he, the, Russell Wilson was an unmovable asset. He was not, they were not able to move him if coming in. And a lot of us, including myself, I did not think Sean Payton lands here because of the attachment of Russell Wilson. The fact that he took the job is a massive endorsement. And it started on day one. If those of you, you could Google it. You look on YouTube. He said, yeah, we ain't, what about Russell Wilson and all his assistant coaches? And these people, he goes, yeah, none of that's happening here. We're going to get him. He's going to buy in or he's going to get out. He fucking put it on him. What has happened in the subsequent four months? Oh, Russell Wilson's dropped 20 pounds. 20 pounds for a guy who's five foot 11 and 210, 215 pounds. It's a lot of fucking weight. He's put on mass. He's gotten in good shape. He fired every single one of those assistants that he had. He has no more assistant coaches. Assistants, I should say. They're not coaches. Russell Wilson has nobody else. I mean, he's not bringing anybody else in and around the team. Right? Russell Wilson's final two weeks of the 2022 season were very solid. 200 or he had 500 yards passing, 250 per week, and he had four touchdowns. All right. He also ran for 45 yards and two touchdowns, by the way. Right. I, I mean, that was a different Russell Wilson the last two weeks without Hackett there. Just he was better off in a schoolyard, just drawing it up and ripping it and ripping it. So, 
at 34, working out, dedicating himself, getting rid of these people in his ear, now having only Sean Payton to buy into, who's had amazing success with undersized quarterbacks like Drew Brees in the past, it's the perfect situation possible. It's the perfect situation possible for Drew Brees. Or I'm sorry, for uh, Russell Wilson or Drew Brees. Right? It really is. And the other element here is they didn't go out and get anybody to back him up. They brought in Jared Stidham as an uh, uh, free agent from the Raiders, mostly probably to get intel on Josh McDaniel's system. But also, you know, it'd be fine carrying the clipboard. That's it. They didn't go get somebody else. They didn't go get Taysom Hill. I was waiting for that shit. But they didn't go and do that. Right? What else did they do? Same thing. He's got his quarterback. What did he do in 05 or in 06 when he took over the Saints? He went out and made the offensive line a priority. Who was the first player signed? Free agency. Denver threw the the bag at Mike McGlinchey, offensive tackle from the 49ers. 49ers offensive line's looking shitty, by the way. Say that for another time. But McGlinchey comes in here, all pro. Gets his bag, play the right tackle spot. Same place he played for the 49ers. Oh, by the way, they're running outside zones. Same as the 49ers. Then they signed Ben Powers. Ben Powers was the second best pass-blocking interior lineman in the National Football League last season from Baltimore Ravens. Eh, nobody, Nobody pays attention to that shit. I do. Ben Powers is their starting left guard now. They have Meneras, who was that part of that great third-round pick from the 2021 class. They bring in um, Cal Fuller. They bring in, or Cushenberry is still here. And I like Cushenberry. He's the center for Joe Burrow on that LSU championship team, 2019. Now, all of a sudden, they have they went from a mediocre offensive line, actually graded out slightly above average, to a phenomenal offensive line, a very good offensive line. Now you give you got Russell Wilson coached up. He dropped some weight. You got a real offense around him. Everybody's on the same page with Peyton and Joe Lombardi. You give him protection. He already had weapons. This team is stacked at the skill position. Javante Williams is one of, if not the single, most powerful running back in the National Football League. I know. Derrick Henry, totally understand. Totally understand. He's more powerful in a vacuum. But for broken tackles per attempt, nobody was better. Nick Chubb was the only one better than Javante Williams two seasons ago. And Javante had that horrific knee injury, right? That horrific knee injury last year. We thought, oh, it's going to hamper him into 2023. Guess not. Because the only other player they brought in was Samaj P. Ryan. And Samaj P. Ryan, for those, you know, he had a great run with Joe Mixon was out last year. Samaj P. Ryan's 27. He's going to be 28 this year. 28-year-old running backs don't have good success. This is a one-year type of deal. He got multiple-year deal. But this is a one-year patch. And they didn't bring anybody else. Tony Jones, who's, you know, they you know from his days in New Orleans, the familiarity with the offense. I keep waiting for them to go out and get like a Zeke or somebody. There's probably, I, there definitely could be something there. And it, but it will depend on Javante's knee ultimately. 
But him in this zone off zone rushing offense with his power, assuming you gotta assume what they're saying is true. Javante Williams is the new Alvin Kamara. Let's go through that. Let's go through how this offense sets up, by the way. Russell Wilson is Drew Brees with more mobility. He doesn't have to be anything more. Same age, Drew Brees was making all pros. Same same offense, same quarterback coach, now offense coordinator. Right? He's the Drew Brees of this offense. Javante Williams, look through the history there. Javante is going to be the heavy. He's going to be the, well, he's the Alvin Kamara. He's the Reggie Bush. He's a stronger version of both those players, by the way. A better running back than either one of them. Not necessarily as good catching balls. Mind you, first week of last season, or first or second week, he caught 11 passes. Javante Williams had more receptions last year than Cam Akers, and he played four games compared to Akers played 13. Okay? So, Javante is a good, exceptional pass catcher. Was at North Carolina, though, shared it with Michael Carter. P. Ryan catch football as well. P. Ryan's going to play the role of Mark Ingram and Deuce McAllister. That's the comparisons there. Javante's the Camara and the Reggie Bush. P. Ryan's the Ingram and Deuce McAllister. Right? It's all setting up. It's the same. You see the similarities are striking. Who's the, uh, the, look at the receivers here. By the way, Javante Williams with a better offensive line and the break tackle ability. Holy shit. The outside receiver always been a source of amazing fantasy production. One of my greatest calls of all time. And I never realized it, how lucky I was, but I liked Marquise Colston seventh round pick in 06. I liked him mostly because I saw a couple of preseason games. Again, terrible methodology for me. That was my first, it was our second season. Ted and I started our site in 05. Second season doing this professionally. And I was touting this guy, Marquise Colston. Turned out to be tremendous and an amazing asset to the team and got in the NFC Championship game. But that outside receiver later gave way to Michael Thomas. Who is that? It's called the X. In Sean Payton's offense. Who's the X? It's Cortland Sutton. It's not who you're all drafting. I know you're all drafting Jerry Judy. But remember, and the thing about Sean Payton's offense is very Mike Martz. Mike Martz is a huge influence on Sean Payton, low-key. It's a timing offense. The, the quarterback throws to the spot on the field. And he throws to them. It's a rhythm offense. It could look tremendous and impossible to stop, or it could look absolutely off its hinges. And I'm sure there'll be times early on in the season where it'll look off the hinges. But that's all it takes. It is literally that transactional. Just boom, you get to a spot, the ball's going to be there, and the ball's delivered in a way which guys are going to be able to pick up yards after the catch. Sutton is the Colston and the Michael Thomas. What's Jerry Judy? Jeff, they never have any. You know who Jerry Judy is? It's not great. You're not going to love me saying this. It's Lance Moore. I know. Guy who plays inside primarily. A guy who he was with the Saints for a long time. People forget 
Lance Moore had a 10 touchdown season, right? Lance Moore had a, what, an 80 catch season, 60K. He had a thousand yard season. That's what he's going to be. And I know Russell Wilson showed a great affinity toward Jerry Judy at the end of last season. We got to kind of rinse that out of our mind. Right? We got to rinse that out a little bit. I like Judy too. I have Judy ranked higher than Sutton as well. Well, why would you do that if you think he's just this? Well, because that connection that they have. Also, a lot of shorter routes. The shorter routes, Russell Wilson, an aging quarterback. Remember, we're getting Drew Brees at 34, not Drew Brees at 26, which is, you know, that's when Lance Moore was coming up. Oh, the 10 touchdown season. So if Jerry Judy put up an 80 catch, 950 yards, 10 touchdown season, I think he'll get more yardage than that. Number one, that was a 16 game season. So project at 17 and it's a thousand yards. So yeah. It's right. Yeah, he's right at. Yeah, exactly. Thousand yards, 10 touchdowns. That's what we're looking at. It's right on pace. Marvin Mims, second round pick. He's Devery Henderson. Or what they wanted Robert Meacham to become a never the downfield, the burner. That's what Marvin Mims is. What about KJ Hamler? I don't know. Too diminutive, I think. I, I mean, Mims was drafted specifically to replace Hamler. So I don't, I don't know. They got two of them. They're going to have to battle it out. Tim Patrick, forget everything about Tim. Tim Patrick, that was two coaches ago since last we saw him. That's a contract the Broncos wish they could do without. They really do. But, you know, is what it is. And, uh, you know, Tim Patrick will fit in. He got paid a lot of money to be here and, you know, he will serve his time and, uh, you know, he, he will be the next Marquise Callaway or, uh, you know, one, one of those type of receivers, the randos that has a couple of good games here or there, right? Not Tommy Lee Lewis, somebody like that. That That's more or less what Tim Patrick's role will be. And then Dolchich. Dolchitz, I mean, Jimmy Graham, don't forget the Super Bowl tight end was Jeremy Shockey in this offense. Jeremy Shockey had some good years. Jimmy Graham was an absolute straight up baller. He's not going to be Jimmy Graham. He doesn't have that kind of size. But Dolchitz is that guy. They also brought in Adam Troutman, by the way. And they have Albert Okaway Boonham, but Okaway Boonham's dead man walking because... Manhurts is here. Dolchitz is here. Troutman's here. It feels like Albert O is just on the outside, which he's a pretty good little player. But I just don't see, again, coaches and organizations tell you by their transactions, they tell you what they're doing. So that's the offense. The defense, banger, absolute bangers. This still has Ejiro Avero. The defense coordinator last year got a lot of credit and a job in Carolina for taking over Vic Fangio's defense. Well, it's kind of what they're doing in a way here. Vance Joseph, those coordinators. Vance Joseph is very good at secondary coach. He's good in coverage, coverage maps. And they go out and get Quan Williams from the 49ers. They have Patrick Sertain. They've got Kareem Jackson. They've got it. One of, I think one of, if not the single best safety in the league, and Justin Simmons here already. 
So there's some real talent. Riley Moss, the guy they bring in in the third round, another draft pick from Iowa. Ted likes him a lot. And they're going to, with Vance Joseph, they're going to play man, a lot of man coverage, which is Riley Ross right up their alley. But you also have the pairing, the, um, I guarantee you he wishes he didn't trade Bradley Chubb, but Randy Gregory, who's brought in last season, right? to be on the edge and Frank Clark from the Kansas city chiefs. Clark was a very low key one year deal, $5 million. Great signing. They've got tackle monsters and Alex Singleton and Drew Sanders to play the inside linebacker spouts. Josie Jewell led the team last season in tackles. They got real three real wrap up tacklers on this defense. And they got guys in the middle. DJ Jones, all world with 49ers two years ago, battled the injury bug last year. What did Denver struggle in last season? They struggle, at least defensively, struggled stopping the run. Right? They struggled stopping the run last year if there was any weakness. And that was mostly when DJ Jones was not healthy. They plug him in. They get Zach Allen from Arizona, one of the better, more versatile. He's not... He's not great, but he learned under J.J. Watt with J.J. Watt. We saw him in hard knocks. And Zach Allen turned himself into a strong pass rusher, above-average pass rusher, and borderline exceptional run stopper from the edge or defensive end spot. Now, they're going to still play 3-4 here. So that's why a guy like Allen makes all the sense in the world because he could play on the edge or he could play in the middle. And he can stop the run and still get after the passer. It's a tremendous signing. And it's so low key that nobody's realizing it. It's just like the Frank Clark signing that happened after the, the wave of free agency. Chiefs thought they were going to get him back. They didn't. This was a good draft to get Riley Moss and Drew Sanders on the defensive side to go along with all this investment. This Broncos team is set up to win now. It's going to win now. I know the division's tough. I didn't want to do another AFC West team. Chiefs are baller. Chargers are baller. Raiders are tough. But why did I call this binging the Broncos? Well, I do like to play fantasy football. Let's look at where all these ass. I gave you the blueprint. I gave you how it's going to go. All right. Why am I binging? Why is that the word I use? Russell Wilson's going off the board at QB 18. 132.0. That's his ADP. That's the 11th round. He is the, I have him in the top 12. He's a QB one for me. Being drafted 18. It's insane. If you're in a super flex league, that's automatic. Russell Wilson as your QB two is automatic. But I, I think Russell Wilson will be starting for a championship team in fantasy this year. Javante Williams running back 29 off the board. Fucking kidding me. You're drafting Camara 29th. 93.7. That's the eighth round. Samaj P. Ryan. Oh, I don't believe in Javante. Well, fine. You could, I'll play that game. Samaj P. Ryan then is drafted 34th running back off the board. 108.9. That's the 10th round. There's no way they don't produce. I told you about Joe Lombardi. Joe Lombardi's offense produced Austin Eckler numbers the last two years. Oh, and before Austin Eckler, it was Joyke Bell and Reggie Bush. Theo Reddick. Fucking George Wynn, Zach Zenner, we're producing. What is this? What is Joe Lombardi four years as offense coordinator? Here's what he averaged: 19 attempts, 79 yards, 0.68 touchdowns per game, 
9.5 targets a game. Seven receptions a game by the running back. 58 yards, 58.48 receiving yards per game from the running back. That's almost 1,000 yards in the air. 0.348 receiving touchdowns per game. 28 fantasy points per game by the running backs. If you want to single out just the RB1, yeah, Joe Lombardi averages 21.1 fantasy points per game from his lead running back. And they're going in the 8th and 10th round. You're fucking welcome, America. You're fucking welcome. Michael Thomas, Marquise Colston, Cortland Sutton's going off the board. Wide receiver, 48, 95.9, 8th round pick. You have to decide. You want Javante or... Or do you want Sutton? Jerry Judy's going off the board early. Wide receiver, 22. Fourth round, 41.5. I think that's fair for Judy. I I think that's one of those that's kind of, uh, he's at cost, so there's not really value. Marvin Mims, wide receiver, 73. Tim Patrick, wide receiver, 88. Somebody's going to produce. Dolchitz, tight end, 14. 138.5 going off the board. Not even drafted as a starting tight end. Could be Jeremy Graham or uh, or Jimmy Graham or Jeremy Shockey of this offense. That's why you binge. You could stack the hell out of them. Absolutely stack the hell out of them, right? And I suggest that you do. That's what binging means. That is what we're going to do this season. Let's go through the schedule, shall we? Let's try to make some predictions on what exactly is going to happen with this Broncos team. Week one, at home against the Raiders. We're looking at a dub. Week two, at home against the Commanders. Easy dub. Week three, on the road against the Dolphins. That's a loss. Dolphins are tough. Then they go to Chicago against the Bears. They'll win that game. Then they're at home against the Jets. It's going to be a tough game. Real tough. But they're going to win that game. That's a four and one start. On the road against the Chiefs, we'll give them an L there. At home against the Packers, that's a W. At home against the Chiefs, I'm going to give them a loss there too. Chiefs are tough. They go into the bye. Then they go to Buffalo, that's an L. At home against Minnesota, that's a dub. At home against Cleveland, dub. On the road against Houston, dub. At LA Chargers, I'll give them a loss on that one. Low-key game of the year, December 17th. At Detroit. That's a tough one. That is a tough game. I'm going to give him an L. I think Detroit's going to be tough. It's, going to be a, it's one of those games. It's, it's going to be a rough one. Christmas Eve, we get the Patriots in Denver. Patriots aren't that great. That's a win. Then you got the Chargers at home. Lost earlier against the Chargers. They'll win that game. And at LA, Las Vegas, Raiders, they won in week one. I think they'll win in the final week. So what does that have? We got five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven wins, six losses for the Denver Broncos. They'll be the fifth or sixth seed. In the AFC this year. Tough AFC. Not an easy schedule. But that's a good team. That's why you should be binging them. Binge these Broncos all 
freaking day, folks. From top to bottom, the organization's in the right spot. They've done it the right way. And you got to get them before everybody else does. By next year, we're all going to realize, oh, shit, Sean Payton. Oh, Russell Wilson's back. He's a baller again. And and then that quarterback 18 will be quarterback eight or nine. Javante Williams would be a first-round fucking pick next year probably. Let's be honest. Jerry, Judy, or Sutton, one of them is going to be a second-round pick next year. You're getting them before. That's what this podcast is all about. That's what these team specials are about. Whether you're buying the Browns, whether you're chasing the Chargers, whether you're digging the Dolphins or binging the Broncos, these teams, the way we go about it and do our analysis, we're not wrong. We haven't been wrong yet. Don't expect to be wrong now. Binge these Broncos, baby. That's it. That's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, I know I got away from the microphone. Hopefully our uh, producer, Sean Engel, who does a tremendous job every single week with this show, can do that. I've got feisty. I'm moving around. I'm animated because this is a team I believe in, and I could not wait to share it with you all so much. I didn't know that it was going to be the Broncos until recently. You have to go through the motions. That's one other thing that I talked about in SiriusXM show the other day, and I urge you guys to understand that as well. Don't ever come to the conclusion first and then try to backfill your reasoning. Let the process, let the reasoning, let the facts, the data, let that all go. Manufacture that, the information first, and then let that information direct you to the answer, to the solution. Our industry is so often, I like this player, and now I'm going to go investigate why. I like this team, now I'm going to go investigate why. I don't give a fuck about the Broncos or the Browns or the Chargers or the Dolphins. I ended up hating the Dolphins last year because that 2-9 bullshit. But they're all still my babies. Why? Because we win with them. I'll, I don't care. I, I, I have no problem. Even if it was, you know, the Jets were on the short list here. The Jets were on the short list before you say, oh, you never do the Jets. I would have. I don't I don't think Aaron Rodgers has what he doesn't have, he doesn't have enough left. He doesn't have what Russell Wilson has left. He's not the solution as much as Sean Payton was a solution. Nate Hackett was a bad thing to happen to New York. So was Aaron Rodgers, I think. So they didn't make it. The Lions, I feel everybody's on the Lions. It's way too mainstream. And we have to pay a premium for the assets that we want. Golf is cheap, but then, you know, Amon Ra is super expensive. Gibbs is super expensive. Right? I mean, so, yeah, there, there were teams that were in the running. I do like what the Bears are doing. Two homer. I'm not going to buy the Bears. The Falcons were in the running. I think they have a good thing. I, I think the Panthers are very much in the running, too. But if it was actually the Panthers probably would have got the spot. If not, it's a lot easier to win in the NFC than it is the AFC. They would have won in the spot had it not been a rookie quarterback. And if it would have been CJ Stroud over Bryce Young, it would have made this decision really hard on which team to support back this year. But I we just can't deny it. I've gone through all the reasons why the assets there, we're all gonna kick ourselves for not drafting Russ, Javante, P. Ryan, Sutton, Judy, Dulcich. I mean the defense, right? I mean, come on. The Broncos are one of the best defenses in the league, yet in consensus rankings, they're like 15th. 
Give me a fucking break. Talk, tell me you don't know football. Tell me you don't know anything about what's happened in the league in the last six months without telling me you didn't pay attention the last six months. That's it. Episode 161 in the books. Thank you, each and every one of you, for downloading, subscribing, liking, favoriting, commenting. I appreciate you. You guys could spread the word. We liked it. We want to keep this show free. We want to keep it in front of the paywall. Want to make sure it gets out to as many people as human possible, uh, as humanly possible. Tell your Broncos friends. Maybe they'll like me this year. Who knows? Maybe they'll disagree with me. Maybe you disagree with some or everything that you heard on today's show. And folks, you know it's perfectly all right by me. Why? Because you know why. It's just one man's opinion. We'll see you next time, everybody. Enjoy. And binge those Broncos. Deuces!